0: If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to John chapter 7. We continue to walk through this gospel together, picking our way through it, really digging in and seeing and, and really beginning to understand, as a faith family, the, the whole point of this book, as John writes in John chapter 20, is that we would believe. It's the point of this, that we would as people believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And as we look at this book, it can be easy for us to think, okay, well, if I'm already Christian, if I, a Christian, if I'm already a believer, well, I've already believed, so maybe this doesn't really apply to me. But I don't know about you, but if you're honest, there are times in my life when I have doubted my belief in Christ. Anyone else been there before? There's been times that, I mean, I've asked myself, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and we were talking about our faith journeys, and I said, you know, I was, I was raised in the faith. My parents were Christians, they, were, uh, they raised me in the church, and I mean, I was there uh, from the time I was born. And I always wondered growing up, especially in high school and college, do I believe this because this is all I know? Or is this because I actually believe this for myself? And as the years go on in my life, I begin to find I believe it more and more. It's called, this. Paul calls it, growing up in our salvation. We come to believe more. So if you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the hope is, as we're walking through this book, and we'll even see more today, that you will believe even more. That your belief will be strengthened and that you'll believe Jesus even more. And then if you're here this morning, maybe you're skeptical and you don't don't believe that through the word of God and how Jesus is revealed here by John, that you will believe him for the first time and then become following him. Well, the last few weeks here in John 7, as we've kind of been camped out here the last few weeks, we've been seeing Jesus is starting to stir up all kinds of controversy. All kinds of controversy. We saw in John chapter, at the first part of John 7, that his brothers weren't even believing him. And they told him to go to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And told him to go down there and to perform a miracle, to do a work so his cause would not be lost. So even his brothers, his own blood brothers who were in close proximity to Jesus, didn't even believe. And we saw that just because we might be in close proximity to Jesus does not mean we just believe. Being close to Jesus and maybe knowing Jesus and knowing who he is is not saving belief. Well, we saw that Jesus eventually goes down to Jerusalem. He goes there to the the feast, the festival of shelters there. And he's there and we see that. Uh, some of his followers were des- des- deser- deserting him. Come on, Adam. Deserting him because some of that his teaching was offensive. Some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they began challenging what he said and did. Even the people there in Jerusalem were divided about who he was, questioning was he really the Messiah? Who was he? We're going to see more of that this week. Well, Jesus is stirring up all kinds of controversy causing all kinds of debate and conflict we're going to see more of that today so look in john chapter 7 we're going to start reading in verse 37 as brandon's already read for us but we're going to read it again look at john 37 it says this on the last and most important day of the festival jesus stood up and cried out if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The, servant, the servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is a curse. Nicodemus, our old friend Nicodemus from John chapter 3 arrives. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before he... Hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee, too, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So, what do we see here? We see here in this passage of Scripture that Jesus is again at this religious festival, the Feast of Shelters or Tabernacles, where they would celebrate the harvest. They were there as fall, they're celebrating the harvest. As we've said, it's kind of like our American Thanksgiving, well, on the very last day, and John even says the most important day of this festival, Jesus all of a sudden stands up and talks. And how many of you ever, how many of you have that relative, okay? And that relative, maybe at Thanksgiving or Christmas, they just kind of like to just drop some kind of controversial bomb, right? Right? They might say, "Well, what do you think of?" and they drop the politics bomb, right? You know, psychologists say don't talk about politics at on holidays, right? Cuz it's so divisive. And but there's always that relative or, you know, some relative brings up some kind of hurt or, you know, something that They were offended by in families because families are constantly offending each other. And they know that this happened years ago and you hurt my feelings, right? Anyone have that relative that just does that? They cause kind of drama a little bit. So you can almost imagine Jesus is here at the last and most important day of the festival. Everyone's supposed to be happy. Everyone's supposed to be enjoying themselves. And Jesus stands up. And what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me. All right. now, I don't know if Mary, his mother, was there, or his brothers or family. They probably looked at him and they said, would you sit down? Like, don't talk like this now. Not during our Thanksgiving. Not during we're celebrating the harvest. This is not the time and place for this. Well, Jesus, he stands up. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Well, previously in this book of John, Jesus has already said... I am the living water, drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. Who did he tell that to? The Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus here in John, he's also said after he fed the thousands upon thousands of people with the five loaves and two fishes, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, anyone who eats of me will never be hungry again. So again, Jesus comes back around to this idea here at this festival, and he says, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me." Now Jesus is pointing in these claims that He's making. He's pointing to a reality for every human being. There's a reality that every one of us share together is that we're thirsty. We're hungry. We have a godless void that each one of us is trying to fill. All right, let me say that again so we don't miss it. Each one of us have a godless void in our lives that we are trying to fill. And Jesus here in John 7 and verse 37, he describes this void as thirst. That is why Jesus would mention thirst. Every person is thirsty thirsty for what so if every one of us have this godless void and jesus is describing this void as being thirsty what are we thirsty for right and if i'm there i would ask jesus okay if i'm thirsty what am i thirsty for right so what is it that each one of us we're all in the same boat together what are we thirsty for okay what are we thirsty for now, like I said, one of my New Year's resolutions is to not drink uh, soda, pop, Coke, wherever part of the country you're from, you want to call it. And I'm thirsty for that, right? I like Dr. Pepper, okay? I can't drink Dr. Pepper every day. Why? Because it'd make me sick, all right? I have a friend of mine who just suffered through some kidney stones, and it's because he drank Dr. Pepper all the time, and so I'm like, okay, I don't want Kenny Stones, so I'm not going to drink that anymore. That we're thirsty, right? We're thirsty. Every one of us can identify with that, but what are we thirsty for? What is this godless void that Jesus describes thirst as? What is it? We're thirsty for satisfaction. We're thirsty for fulfillment. We're thirsty for love. We're thirsty for worship. Then you say, Adam, wait a minute. You really say that we're thirsty? This godless void is worship? Yeah. Think about it for just a second. Every one of us, every human being is created to worship. It's in our DNA. We are created to worship. Well, think about this for a second. What does it mean to worship? Now, I'm not talking about what we've been doing for the last half hour. That's not what I'm talking about. What does it mean to worship? If we were to just have a simple definition of Of worship, what does it mean? Well, it means to love or honor something or someone very much. And then we place it or them on a pedestal that dictates our priorities. Now, that's not out of the dictionary. This is my own definition, okay? If you want to debate my definition, I'm happy to do it. But as I was thinking about this this week, about meaning to worship, it means to love or honor something or someone so much that we place it or them on a pedestal, and then that dictates our priorities. That's worship. That's worship. So worship is the object of, in which we find satisfaction, fulfillment, love. That is worship. So what we chase after, we chase after everything in life that can offer satisfaction, that can offer happiness, fulfillment, and love. And sometimes those are good things, right? We can look to family for fulfillment. We think, if I can just have the love of family, then I can be fulfilled. Now, don't hear me wrong, family is very important. And it's a wonderful thing, but it also can disappoint it can hurt. So you will not find absolute fulfillment. You will not find ultimate satisfaction in the family. It will leave you thirsty. We can chase after relationships. We can look to relationships. We can, we can think in our hearts and minds, if I can just have that relationship with someone, then I will be made complete. They will complete me. But when we understand human relationships... We're all incomplete people, so why would we look to other people for to be complete? And we will be left with emptiness. We can grasp at jobs and careers and homes and material positions, and we and those can be good things, those can be necessary things, but if we look for them to them for ultimate satisfaction, we're gonna be left wanting more. Many of us are control freaks, right? We think, if I can just have control, if I can control the people, the circumstances, the situations around me, then I will feel safe. I will be in control. But the reality is just when we think we have everything under control, we will begin to realize that it's impossible to control everything around us. So all we're left with is feeling vulnerable. We can immerse ourselves in religion. We can think, if I can just get involved in church and religion, I'll get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. I'll get the satisfaction of doing something good. But then religion will just leave us feeling empty and unsatisfied. We can trust in our own intellect. We can chase after knowledge and belief. If I can just figure it out, then I'll be fulfilled but anyone knows the more you know, the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know. And that causes doubt to set in our minds. So faith family, we need to completely grasp that no matter what we seek after in life, to fill that godless void, that need for worship, if we, we can grasp at anything else this world can offer, but the reality is it's just going to leave us thirsty. It will not satisfy. You can chase after it. You can devote your life after it. You can honor it. You can love it. You can worship it. And it might give you some temporary satisfaction. But it will not give you ultimate satisfaction. And we'll be left feeling empty, a void in our life, thirsty. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean like really, really thirsty. I played basketball in high school and college and I remember those coaches that just loved to torment us and they would cause us to run and all you wanted to do was just drink water, right? Or Gatorade, but water especially. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Maybe in the middle of the summer, it's hard to think like that right now, right? Right? But maybe in the middle of summer when you're mowing your grass and it's 100 degrees outside with the humidity and you just want something to drink, I mean, really thirsty. Well, the reality for every one of us, we are spiritually thirsty. We are parched. And we look to 100 different things to quench that thirst and it doesn't work. And then here Jesus stands up at this festival. And Jesus says something that applies as much as... It does today, as it then, as it did then. And Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, and that's all of us, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Come to me. Jesus says, if you are thirsty, and you are, because you're human, come to me. And so you say, Adam, okay, I see that i need to come to jesus well how is this thirst quenched how does this what's this process well look at verse 38 again jesus says the one who believes in me as the scripture has said will have streams of living water flow from deep within now this is a really important phrase here because right here jesus is saying okay are you thirsty Are you empty? Do you have that void in your life? Well, here's how it can be filled. So this is a really important verse that we've got to completely unpacked and so jesus says he says the one who believes in me as the scripture has said will have streams of living water flow from deep within so let's break this down for a second jesus uses the phrase believe we're going to come back to that in just a second we've talked a lot about believe but look at that phrase streams of living water now this is a phrase that the Jewish people would have immediately understood but we may not understand as Americans here in 2017 or almost 18. For for the Jews water symbolized fertility and fruitfulness that only rain could give, okay? This was a culture t- totally dependent on farming and agriculture. So rain and water represented life you needed rain for your crops to grow so jesus is saying believe in me and this will produce spiritual fruitfulness fertility richness life and this fulfillment comes from deep within so what does that mean this is a reference to the holy spirit it says in verses 39 and 40 that this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. So when God brings a person to the point of emptiness or thirstiness, and listen, I firmly believe this, that God uses brokenness, God uses emptiness, he uses spiritual thirstiness to call people to himself. God, has a ten, God in his love, will back us into a corner... To where the only place we can look is up. God does that, not because he's cruel, but because he loves us. God will strip away everything in our lives that we try to find fulfillment in, satisfaction in, to the point where he gets our attention, he calls us to to himself, and we believe. God will do that. God will do that. He'll strip it away. Well, God brings us to that point of brokenness, of emptiness, of thirstiness, and we need to embrace that as a gift. Brokenness is a gift. Now, it doesn't feel good, and it's not enjoyable, but it's a gift. I'm reading a book right now that I I encourage you to read. It's a book uh, by Jared Wilson. It's called Gospel Wakefulness, and he talks about brokenness in this book. And he talks about God uses brokenness and emptiness in our lives to bring us to a point of greater belief. Well, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes in and dwells the individual at salvation. And fruitfulness happens and spiritual thirstiness is gone because of the Holy Spirit. So belief in Jesus, a saving belief, will result in life. It's as if Jesus is saying, this belief, you believe in me, you will experience life like never before. You will have life of abundance, a life of fruitfulness. So you will go from thirstiness to satisfaction. And it's only through Jesus so faith family, here's the reality for us. If we want to be spiritually satisfied and fulfilled, we have got to drop everything else that we can tr- possibly find that fulfillment in and believe in Jesus. You say, Adam, that sounds incredibly simplistic. That sounds almost trite. We'll just believe in Jesus. But that belief, as we talked about, is a gift from God. God. That belief comes from God. It takes the Holy Spirit to wake us up spiritually because Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins and we cannot, dead things don't do anything. And so the Holy Spirit wakes us up to the need of our salvation and brings us to belief. And belief in his work for you. Belief in what Jesus Christ has done. So we've got to stop chasing after everything else that might offer temporary satisfaction and believe in Jesus. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that we are sinful and broken. And then we trust in his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. And then that results in spiritual fulfillment. Well, so here's Jesus. He stands up and he says, believe in me. Anyone that is thirsty, come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water from, from deep within him. Well, what was the response of the people to this? I mean, this is a pretty bold claim to make during a holiday. Stand up in front of everyone and make this claim. Well, what was the response of the people? Well, they're divided. We saw in verses 40 through 43. This claim of Jesus in 37:38, it divides them. Some say He was the prophet, right? You see that? Some say, well, he's the prophet. And we say, oh yeah, it would be easy for us to think there, oh yeah, they're right. Well, they're not right. Because they believed that a prophet was going to come like Moses or Elijah, but they'd be a little bit greater. That's why they called him the prophet, okay? Just like some people call it the Ohio State University, they called it the prophet. So the prophet, well, the prophet's going to come. So they thought maybe Jesus was the prophet. Others thought that he was the Messiah. So you have some people saying, no, he's the prophet. Some people say, no, the Messiah. The Messiah means anointed one. Jewish, Jewish people believe that God had promised to their ancestors that the Messiah would come and save them from their sins. He would come. So some people are saying he's the prophet. Some people say, no, he's better than that. He's the Messiah. But then what happens here, all of a sudden they begin to get hung up on something. What are they getting hung up on from? Where are the guys from? And they have this huge debate. He's from Galilee, right? This says verse 42 is that someone says, well, doesn't the scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem? And we're sitting here screaming, yes! Because we just came out of Christmas. He's born in Bethlehem. But no, remember, Jesus had moved to Galilee and Nazareth. And so they're saying, well, he's not from Bethlehem. Some of them wanted to seize him. They wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees, they go, they go to the temple guards and they say, why didn't you bring him? Why didn't you arrest him? And they, just, these poor guards, these poor servants, they say, well, no one teaches like this. No one ever spoke like this. Because it was tradition, if you were a rabbi, you spoke based on tradition and precedent. And you spoke on what some other rabbi said thousands of years ago. Well, here Jesus is saying, I'm saying this, not some other rabbi, I'm saying this. I'm the living water. Anyone thirsty? Come to me. So this is a totally different way of teaching. So you have all of this debate and drama and conflict going on and on and on. And they're just going on. And they're saying, well, he can't even be a prophet because not even a prophet comes from Galilee. Galilee was just one of those places you didn't really want to be, be from. I mean, I, I don't want to offend anyone by saying what city that could be like. I, in my mind, I think like Detroit, like De- who's from Detroit, or Cleveland, you know, like the mistake by the lake, and all of these things, and they're saying, well, the prophet doesn't even come from Galilee. How can this be? And then Nicodemus, you know, our friend Nicodemus from John 3, Nicodemus says, he stands up, and he says, well, our law says you can't judge a man until you hear from him and knows what he's doing, does it? And then these other religious leaders, they attack their own. They're eating their own. And they say, well, are you from Galilee too? Which we saying like, are you from Detroit too? You from Cleveland too? Oh, there's no one from Cleveland or Detroit here. And they say, they say, you know, you're from the bad part of town too. So there's this huge division. There's conflict. There's friction here. Where is this guy from? And they miss it. They miss it. Jesus is saying here in verse thirty says seven. If you're thirsty, come to me. And they're sitting here saying, where's he from? Now, we can sit here and, you know, honestly, we're being a little bit judgmental here. We're judging these people. We're judging the religious leaders. But don't we do that too? We live in a culture that questions the claims of Jesus. Jesus. And we can say all this terrible culture and we're good at that as Christians as we point the finger at the culture. But don't we do this too? Don't we do this too? We get hung up on the small things. We We major in the minors and we can do these things and get distracted by all these things and we miss it. And the point here is If we're thirsty, go to Jesus. Believe in Him. See, we are thirsty. And we chase after everything we can to quench our thirst. But the only one that can is Christ. And Satan, the evil one, is so good at distracting us, isn't He? I mean, what did He do with Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember what he said? He came to Eve, and Satan told Eve, did God really say? Is God holding out on you? Here in John 7, they're getting hung up on where he's from. When the reality is, this is the simple, clear gospel, believe and come to Jesus, and you'll be satisfied These religious leaders, they were looking to religion and their knowledge of the law of Moses to fulfill them. And Jesus is saying, no, you're thirsty, come to me, drop the law and come to me. So the reality is for every one of us, if we want to be spiritually fulfilled, is believe Jesus. Understand that we are sinful, we are rebellious before God, and that Jesus came as God in the flesh. Jesus identified with us. He died for us for the payment of our sins and then was resurrected to give us brand new spiritual life. And if we believe that, that quenches our spiritual thirst. And folks, that's good news. That is the gospel. See, God does not want us to be miserable people. Do you realize that? God does not want us to stay thirsty. He wants us to experience joy. God is, as John Piper says, is after your joy. He wants your joy. He wants you to be satisfied. But how is that done? Not through life, but through Him. So let me challenge every one of us. Run to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Seek Jesus. Know Jesus. And he will satisfy. Pray with me. God in heaven, we we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you bring us to the point in our lives of, of the realization that we are thirsty. That we have a void in our lives that can only be filled by you. So God, I ask that you would begin the work in each of our lives that are here this morning. That you would begin the work of stripping away everything in our lives make us more and more thirsty to the point to where we go to Jesus. So we can experience life to its fullest, that we can have streams of living water from deep within. I pray for the one that is here, God, that has not yet truly believed in you. I pray in the way that only you can. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to their need of salvation, that they would not look to anything else in their lives for their salvation, for their spiritual freedom, but that they would look to you and they would trust in your work on the cross and your resurrection. I pray for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who are believers and followers of you, God, I pray that you would not allow us to be satisfied with anything else in our lives other than you. Forgive us for creating little idols in our lives out of things, even good things. And we devote our worship to those things. Forgive us of that, to remove those out of our lives and give us Jesus. Jesus, today we, we proclaim and we ask, we, and we, we say, we want you. We want you to quench our spiritual thirst. And I pray for those that are here that are thirsty, they are broken, they are tired, they are frustrated. I pray that you would make streams of living water to come out of them from deep within. We recognize that we are poor and needy people and we need you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.